And uh, I want to share with you this morning about the extraordinary power of ordinary moments. And, um, you know, I, I have a unique opportunity with you this morning in that uh, typically we, we do uh, our messages in series. And we just got out of a series called, anybody know what it was called? Screen time. Yeah, there you go. Screen time, the theology of technology. And next week, Pastor Shane is going to kick off a brand new series called All the Feels. And can I just tell you that this series that's coming up is going to be an incredible series for you to invite non-Christians to or maybe a believer who's wandered from their faith. Because uh, Pastor Shane is going to open up the book of Psalms and and look about how uh, we deal with challenging emotions and what God does for us in those things. And so it's an incredible opportunity to invite people and, uh, and so uh, I have a thing called what's, uh, what's called a standalone message, which means uh, tabula rasa, blank slate. You know, I get to, get to choose, choose what to share with you, which is super exciting, and I'm super thankful for uh, the opportunity. And uh, as I was thinking about what would be a good bridge between a series about phones and then uh, a series about feelings, uh, I thought, man, it would be appropriate to share with you from the life of a shepherd named David. And uh, he's the dude who killed a giant named, anybody know? Goliath. Goliath. Yes, he killed Goliath. And I thought I would share with you from his life because uh, if you don't know, David is a, a man who wrote a ton of the songs and prayers that are found in the book of Psalms, which is what our next series is about. So you'll have some context going into next week. And, uh, and so as I was thinking about the life of David and what I could share with you from his life, uh, this passage kept coming to mind. And and as I began to read it and study it, I felt convicted. You ever have a moment like that? You read, uh, read the Bible and you just say, ooh. I had one of those ooh moments. And so, uh, so without further ado, let me read it for you. We'll see if you have one of those moments. And if you don't, uh, maybe you can guess what it was in this passage that uh, messed with my head a little bit. Sound good? All right, let's read from God's word. This is uh, 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 17. And it says this. Uh, And this is, uh, David is uh, trying to convince King Saul to let him fight Goliath. And he says this, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this group of people that have gathered in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have uh, a desire and an aim uh, to, um, to conquer the giants in our lives. God, thank you that you've given us power to uh, stand up to evil and wrong things in the world. God, I pray for those who are coming with uh, uh, incredible challenges that they're facing. I pray for those who are, uh, who are struggling to feel confident in the things that you've given them to do. I pray that you would grow in us a confidence, that you would grow in us a sense of your presence and a sense of your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Now I told you I was convicted, and uh, I don't know if you have any guesses, but 
let me tell you what, what it was about this passage that really got to me. I, I, uh, I was really struck by uh, David's response to Saul. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. You're, you're a teenager, you're not a soldier, and, and you are not a giant. You know, Goliath is said to have been 10 feet tall, covered in armor, carrying a 70-pound spear. I, I, for just point of reference, I picked up a 70-pound dumbbell at the gym last week, and I tried to lift it over my head, and I couldn't do it. Two arms, I got it, you know, but, but Goliath, he can throw a 70-pound dumbbell, essentially. Can you imagine that? And Saul's like, there's no way you can win. And, and it says this, three words, it says, but David persisted. But David persisted. And I read those words and I thought, man, that is crazy. You know, every soldier in the army runs away and hides. Every soldier is reluctant to fight. And David, he doesn't fight Goliath reluctantly. He's eager for the fight. Isn't that interesting? He, he's begging to fight the giant. And, and it convicted me because, you know, there are moments in my life where I'm not, I'm not even eager to fight an ordinary battle. You guys with me? Like, for example, I, I, I really, really loathe dinner time. Uh, I, I hate, dinner time is like a battle for me. And, and it's, it's, it's no Goliath, it's no giant, but, but, I, but I hate dinner time. And, and honestly, I, I would avoid dinner time uh, at all costs if I could. And so I, I sort of enter into dinner time reluctantly. In fact, if, uh, if I had it my way, uh, I would allow my twin four-year-olds to both cook, eat, and clean up after dinner for themselves because it is just that much of a chore to me. Anybody have any chores in their life that you just don't like doing? Uh, as a kid, it was yard work. But, uh, but dinner time is particularly uh, problematic for me. First, because I don't like messes, uh, and four-year-olds are not clean, and I don't like whining. And so here's the battle, right? Uh, I have twin four-year-olds, which means uh, one of them likes eating hot dogs and the other doesn't. One likes cottage cheese and the other doesn't. Uh, one will eat the quesadilla, the other will only eat the cheese out of the quesadilla, right? And so like, so if I, if I can't find something for them to eat and, and, and eat together, then by, by the time they get to bedtime, they're crying and whining because they're hungry. So, so I'm I'm, I'm hosed. I can't win. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you, you can't eat food in bed. What if you choke, right? And, uh, and then, and then uh, they're, they're so mad. Like, it doesn't matter what I give them, they make a mess. And I'm so bad at dinner time that I've never actually been able to capture a photo. So my sister sent me this photo. We got Cameron here on the, the curly blonde hair and Melody. This is a simple baking project. This is my life, right? I can't win. Like, it's all, I can't keep it clean. I can't, I can't defeat the messiness of four-year-olds, I can't keep my house in order, and it's problematic. And here's the point. Here's what, what the Lord convicted me in. Here's what I recognize about myself, is that, that as believers, as Christians, God desires that our default would be hope. God desires that our default would, would be, be that we assume that he's gonna do something good in the moments that are challenging. And I was convicted because uh, not, it's not the, the giants that, that cause hope to evaporate from me. It, it's ordinary moments like this, which seems absurd. Like, look how fun, look how much fun they're having. Like, how could I not enjoy this? But there's something about things not going my way that have robbed me of hope. And that convicted me. Like, what would it look like if I was, if I was not reluctant for dinner time, but I was eager for it? 
And, and I want to just say to you this morning that, that my hope is that, that we as believers would, would be eager to experience what God is trying to do in the ordinary moments. Because if you would begin to experience God in the moments that you try and avoid uh, and the, 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 the moments that you're reluctant to step into, uh, you, you begin to experience God's faithfulness and goodness in such a way that, that you feel prepared to face the truly difficult ones. Like you see God show up uh, at, in enough dinner times uh, with his love and his grace and his kindness and his correction and his peace. You, you begin to expect him to show up when you face a real giant. Does that make sense? And, uh, and that's what I want to share with you about today. I want to I just apply the extraordinariness of, of the shepherd named David fighting Goliath to our ordinary moments. And, and to start, I want to just give you four reasons why we avoid moments like these. Uh, and, and so let's start by answering the question, uh, why do we shy away from the fight? Why do we shy away from the fight? Uh, the first reason is this. We assume we can't win. We assume we can't win. Now, whether it's a small challenge or a gigantic challenge, we will always avoid a fight that we assume that we can't win. Uh, so I was thinking about, thinking about this, and there's certain fights that I'm never going to take. Like, there, there's, there's no amount of money that you could pay me to do certain things. So, for example, I was watching an interview with the UFC fighter Khabib. I think we got a photo of him. He looks really mean, doesn't he? He's, He's a tough dude, and uh, he, he recently, I'm not a big UFC guy, but I was watching this interview, and I guess he retired from fighting, and so people keep asking him, are you going to go back and fight again? And, uh, and in this interview, he said, no, I'm avoiding fighting altogether, especially street fights. Uh, and then he said this, because when a normal person fights on the street, they get a black eye, uh, but when I fight on the street, somebody might die. And he said it with a completely straight face, and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, right? And you, know, and you know what the thing that made me, made me really nervous about what he said is like, I totally believe him. Like, like if, I, if I fought him, he would most certainly kill me uh, in, in lickety split, like no, in no time, right? And, and so you couldn't pay me any amount of money to get in a fight with this guy. Like $100 million, I'm out because I know I can't win. In fact, I know I, I, know I would die. And this is where, where the soldiers in the Israelite army found themselves. They're like, we're sure we're going to get Khabib, so we're out. Doesn't matter how much, doesn't matter, matter how much you pay me, we're out. Now, uh, let me just, let me just uh, give you a different example. If somebody, if you, if you offer me $100 million to fight Kermit the Frog, then uh, I'm all in, right? He doesn't even have any bones, like, let's go. And, uh, you know, I might even take that fight for free. I, I just, it's not very threatening, not very dangerous. I assume that I can win. And, and really, that's the difference uh, for so many of us when it comes to the fights that we're willing to step into or the things that we avoid is, is we think that we can't be successful. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Israelites, they had been listening to Goliath shout about how he was going to defeat their best fighter for 40 days. Every day for 40 days, the same thing. Now, come and fight me. If you win, uh, we'll surrender. And nobody takes him up on it. But worse than that, listen to what it says. On the 40th day when they're talking to David, Goliath comes out and he, he begins to offer his, uh, his re repeated challenge. He's 40 days of repeating the sound challenge and it says, they began to run away in fright. When they saw him, they began to run away in fright. For years, I, I read the story and I thought it was ridiculous. I'm like, surely there's, there's one soldier who is either strong enough or foolish enough to take the fight. But nobody is. 
And, and now I, I, I think, I think uh, man, I run away from, from things much smaller than Goliath. And, and I would guess that there's some of you in the room here this morning who uh, can, can relate with, with that, that feeling of conviction that, I, that I've been, uh, been wrestling with. You know, uh, men, there are some of you in the room who've really given up, given up on uh, engaging with your wife. You've become passive. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because you don't believe that you can please her. Or, or women, if some of you have given up on praying for your husband. Why is that? It's because you, you believe that, that if God really cared, he would have shown up by now. Or, or some of you young people in the room, some of you have maybe given up on, on engaging an authentic relationship. And, and why is that? It's because the last four times you showed up at small group, it was awkward. And, and you just assume that it will never be comfortable or normal. And, and how often is that the case where we, we assume that we can't and so we give up without trying? And, and these aren't even giants, these are just ordinary moments with the people that we trust and love. That's the first thing, we assume we can't win. Here's the second thing. Uh, man, sometimes uh, we shy away from a fight because we've let others talk us out of the fight. We've let others talk us out of the fight. And uh, I, I want to just breeze through this point quickly, but but there's two people that try and talk David out of fighting Goliath. Uh, the first one gets ignored, and the second one gets argued with. <laughs> you see, uh, the first one is David's brother, his oldest brother, Eliab. And he questions David's motives. He says, David, you're only here so you can see the battlefield. You don't actually want to fight Goliath. You're just full of pride. You don't want to take care of the sheep. You're just wasting time. Go away. And, and David's brother he, he challenges David's motives, and he says, you're not here for the right reasons, so just go away. And then King Saul, he points out David's deficiencies. He's like, there's a giant, he's been a soldier from, from his youth, and you are just a boy. How could you win? And you know, it's, it's interesting. David, David cannot be convinced not to fight Goliath. He, he ignores his brother. He just keeps having conversations about Who's going to fight Goliath? Who's going to fight Goliath? Who's going to fight Goliath? Until somebody gives him an, an audience with King Saul. And then King Saul's like, you can't fight him. And he, he argues with him. He, he will not let anybody talk him out of the fight. But so often in our lives, we, we, not only do we let other people talk us out of the things that God has called us to do, but we talk ourselves out of it. Do we not? God, I couldn't do that. Lord, Lord, we'll, we'll leave that for the pastors. It, I can't leave a small group. My house is so small. Anybody have a small house? Oh, no, you don't know. It's all good. I'm with you. <laughs> it's like, I, could, I, can't fit, I can't fit 12 people in there. This is crazy. We talk ourselves out of it. I, uh, I heard a pastor say, uh, man, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Not well, poorly. And man, it always stuck with me. In fact, it kind of became a life motto for me. Which is, you know, you're like, he is, he is doing this poorly. Uh, but, uh, but here's, you know, the, the, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Uh, and and it, I took it to heart because his point was this. If something is absolutely essential, if something is critical, man, you should not wait to do it. You cannot wait to do it. You should not wait for fine china if you're starving. Man, you just got to get after it. And uh, I mean, that really is true. You know, if my friend is drowning, I'm going to ugly breaststroke to him as fast as I can uh, because he's worth saving. Are you with me? And, uh, and so, 
man, I would just say this to you. Is oftentimes we, we let people tell us we're too small, we're not good enough, we're, we're not strong enough, we're too sinful, our motives are not godly enough. And, and it doesn't change the fact that there are things that, that are wrong with the world that God has called us to do good in. Man, and, and the reality is that until, we, until we're willing to step into the challenges, the responsibilities, the, thing that, the things that God has actually asked us to tackle and fight, and we will not see our lives change, no matter how much people talk about waiting for the right moment. And so I want to just say to you, and are you letting people talk to you out of ordinary fights? Because if you won't step into the ordinary battles, man, it, you'll never step into the battles with giants. Let me give you the third thing. Here's the third thing. Oftentimes we shy away from fights because we are unwilling to be interrupted. We're unwilling to be interrupted. Now, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you know how David got to the battlefield? Car, plane, helicopter, bicycle. He didn't even have a bicycle. He walked. He walked. Do you know how far he walked? 15 miles. One way. And, and he you just imagine it. He's in the shepherd. He's a shepherd in the field with the sheep. And his dad comes to him. And he's like, hey, there's a war. Your brothers are on the battlefield. I want you to take them some food. And he's like, how do I get there? He's like, walk. He's like, well, can I, uh, uh, can I uh, not take care of the sheep? And he's like, uh, no, <laughs> you got to take care of the sheep. So basically his dad adds, he adds uh, 30 hours of walking to his, his workload. A- anybody here have like uh, a, a task list that's been doubled in the last year? Man, isn't that funny how, uh, how COVID has, has added a bunch of extra things for us to do? It's like, we're going to simplify our life. We're going to do things on Zoom. And all of a sudden, uh, we're doing more and more and more, and the pace of life never slows down. And, and David had every reason to be interrupted. I mean, his dad essentially says to him, hey, along with all your other responsibilities, walk 15 miles uh, carry uh, some supplies to your brother and his friends on the battlefield, uh, ask them how it's going, and then walk back both ways in the snow uphill, uh, I added that part, and, uh, and make sure nothing eats the sheep too. It's, man, that's a lot to do. Do you know how long it takes to walk 30 miles? Uh, I, I actually Google, Google mapped it. These, pl- these places are real, so you can do it. Uh, this estimates six miles on a highway, or six hours on a highway, um, so it could be six, it could be eight, uh, rough terrain. So he's, he's adding anywhere from, uh, from eight to 12 to 16 hours uh, to his work week. Isn't that wild? And, and yet when, when the giant calls out, uh, man, who's going to fight me? He doesn't, he doesn't just keep to his business. He says, nobody's going to fight him? He just stops and asks a question. And I, I would just ask you this question. Are, are you people who are interruptible? Are, are you people who are willing to be interrupted for, for the godly fights that he's presented you with? God has positioned you to step into, uh, man, good deeds and loving people and serving those in need. Are you interruptible? Because I think uh, as church people, we often use our schedules and our budgets as excuses to not serve the Lord. And we say, my calendar won't allow it. Life is just so crazy right now. Maybe when things slow down. I, I I can say this with confidence that there's people in the room who have used that excuse because I am a person that uses that excuse. Or, or maybe it's, man, I just can't afford 
to do it, maybe when I have more money. Will you interrupt your budget plans and to do what God is asking you to do? Because here's the deal. As soon as you become interruptible, you become a little bit more like Jesus. You know, Jesus was willing to get interrupted. He's on the way to die, to die for the sins of the world and people are interrupting him left and right and left and right. Uh, one time on, on his way to heal a girl who's about to die, uh, he gets interrupted and he stops and he, he has a tender moment with a, wo- a woman who's been struggling for a decade. And, and, and if Jesus can be interrupted in a life and death situation, surely we can be interrupted in our vacation plans and, and our work schedules and, and in our hobbies and activities. Are you with me? And surely. And, and it, all starts with, it all starts with allowing God to interrupt us. David was interruptible. All right, you guys ready for the fourth reason? All right, here's the fourth reason we shy away from a fight. We don't have a God-sized reason. We don't have a God-sized reason. You, you guys remember when I, I said you couldn't pay me any amount of money to fight Khabib? There's, there's no way I'm doing it, right? Well, Saul basically offered, offered anybody uh, a $100 million bounty on this giant's head. I mean, listen to what, uh, what uh, somebody would have got if they had fought Goliath and won. It says in, in 1 Samuel 17, 24, it says, the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. Now, this is a, this is a crazy reward. Check it out. This would never fly in America, but it says, uh, he will give that man one of his daughters. Like how many of you, you dudes with daughters would, would give, uh, give your daughter away to a guy who killed a giant? Not, me, not, not for me, but Saul's so like, I'll give you one of my daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. That's the big time, is it not? That's a lot of money. Then, and you know, uh, David had eight brothers. Dang, that's, that's they, you've heard it said, uh, there's, there's uh, two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. And King Saul just made taxes a whole lot less certain for one family, right? It's just incredible, incredible prize for fighting Goliath. And guess what? How many people take it? Nobody. Nobody, because money is not a God-sized reason. Mo- money, money isn't what we live for. Like, listen, if you're not willing to die for money, uh, then surely you shouldn't live for money. And, and, and we see it here that, that if, you, if you don't have a reason bigger than, than the material things in front of you, there are some challenges and some fights you'll never step into. You see, you need a big reason to step into a big problem. But here's, here's the incredible thing about being a Christian, is God gives us a big reason to step into small problems. He gives us a big reason to step into ordinary moments, ordinary challenges. And I think that, uh, that some of us have forgotten that, that whatever we do, we work at it uh, as for the Lord and not for men. We've forgotten that, that, we've forgotten that God has given us a God-sized reason in every moment. And, and just listen to David's reason. He's got, a, he's got a really simple reason for fighting Goliath, and it's not for the money. He says, uh, I, I fought bears and I fought lions uh, to protect sheep, and, and the nation of Israel is far more important than sheep. And he says, I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. He says, I'm gonna fight him because he's defied the armies 
of the living God. It says Goliath defied the armies of the living God. Why did that make David so angry? You know, it's like the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Like a dude yelling in a field, like it's not, not such a big deal, right? But, but here's, why, here's why it bothered him. Uh, it's because David knew that nobody is going to worship and follow a God who is powerless. It, you know, uh, why would you follow a God who doesn't change your life? Why would you? He, he knew that no one in Jerusalem or Judea, Judea or Philistia or at the ends of the earth would ever give God glory if God proved powerless to, to defeat a giant. If your God can't beat a man, then he's not worth following. And, and you know, I think that offended David because he knew that God was powerful. Because he knew that God had changed his life. Because he knew that God shows up in ordinary moments and in big moments. Do you know uh, the real giant that we're facing as Christians today? It, it's not a person. Uh, there's this voice in, in, our cult, in our culture that's shouting day after day from the mountaintop. Uh, and, and, and it's not so loud as much as it is a, a, a subtle whisper. A subtle whisper that, that, that everybody is being told. And it's calling out. The church is irrelevant. The gospel's not true. Jesus isn't worth following. Look at the Christians who are so much more messed up than the non-Christians. And the enemy, he's, he's standing on the hilltop and he's, he's mocking us, church. He's mocking us. He, he, he's telling people that, that Jesus doesn't save or transform human lives. And, and I can tell you it's a lie because there's so many of you who, whose lives have been transformed radically. There's so many of you who are living like, like David, fighting the battles that God has given you to fight. And, and, and this is part of the conviction for me is, man, I wanna be a person who, who, who knocks the father of lies between the eyes, right? I, I, want, us to, I want us to be a church who, who so demonstrates the power of God transforming us from the inside out that people look at us and they say, this God really is uh, able to save and change a life. Like, how, how cool would it be, right, if every person who ever walked through these doors looked exactly like Jesus? That's the goal, that we would, we would uh, encounter the, the, the presence and the spirit of God in such a way that, that he would transform us and shape us into the, the likeness of Christ, that we would be loving and content and bold and fearless, lacking timidity. And, and here's the good news, right? God has given us a way to know that we, we can win. Uh, God has given us a way to overcome the doubters. Uh, God has given us a way to know that uh, it's worth being interrupted to do the work of God and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And, and that's what David demonstrates for us. You see, God, David knew God by the streams of living water. He, he knew God in the quiet moments. He knew God in the peaceful moments. And, and you, can, you, can know, you can know God too in the ordinary moments. You can experience him too at the dinner table. You can experience him too when you greet your, your husband or wife after work. You can experience him too in the morning routines, sipping the coffee, talking with the family. You can experience him, you can experience him too in the ordinary moments. And when you begin to see God in ordinary moments, the ordinary moments become extraordinary because you've encountered the living God. And, and, uh, and if God is with you, who can be against you? 
Uh, listen to what Jesus said about the battles you'll face. He said in John 16, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace because in the world you will have tribulation. In other words, Jesus says, you're gonna struggle, you're gonna suffer, you're gonna face battles, you're gonna face trials and, and uh, challenges. And he says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? It's so good. He's overcome the world. And, and what's included in the world? The giants and also dinner time. Right? It's like, God's got it. He'll meet me in it. He'll meet me in it. Do you believe it? Do you believe he's overcome the world? Do, do you believe he's overcome the things that you're facing? When, when you believe that, God begins to change your heart. And, and, and I was sharing with, with uh, one of my buddies that it's like a dimmer switch, right? That, that God begins to, to illuminate your life little by little by little by little. And our hearts move from, from being timid to becoming eager. Our, our hearts uh, become ablaze with desire to face ordinary moments with faith. That's what Paul tells a young Timothy to do. He says uh, in 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit... God gave us does not make us what? Timid. Uh, it, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. And I'll just say this to you. The, the best way to fan into flame the gift that God has given you in the Holy Spirit is to just live by faith in ordinary moments. Just, just look for God in, in those small moments. Uh, look for God in the small battles. Trust his power and his love and his support and his grace and his ways in the small moments. Be obedient in the small moments and you'll begin to see God be faithful over and over and over and over again. Do you know you have far more ordinary moments than you do giants? And, and, and if you only uh, wait for God to show up when, when you, you're facing a giant, then you just don't see him very much. And so, so man, I, I wanna encourage you to be people who, 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 uh, who are eager for the ordinary moments because you know that's a place where you can encounter God. Now, here's, here's three ways that you can uh, begin to encounter God in ordinary moments. And the first way uh, is this. You just gotta start by avoiding unnecessary battles. Just avoid the unnecessary battles. You know, one of the reasons we doubt that God is with us is because we don't realize we're fighting the wrong battle. We don't, we don't realize we're fighting the wrong person. You know, if you're fighting with someone that God loves, uh, good luck receiving his help. Like, like if you're trying to pull, pull one over on somebody that God loves, he's not gonna back you. And I think that's the mistake we make. You know, the Bible says that, that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and spiritual forces of darkness, uh, which, which means this in, in a nutshell. It, it means uh, that Goliath is not your wife. Goliath is not your husband. Goliath is not your kids. Goliath is not your boss. Goliath Goliath is not your ex. Goliath is not your abuser. Goliath is not a person. Goliath in the life of, a believer, in the, life of the believer is an idea or a feeling or a lie that, that corrupts our hearts and minds and turns us away from the living God. And this is exactly what happened in Israel. You, you've, got these, you've got these soldiers and they're terrified and they're hiding and they're not trusting in the Lord. David doesn't fight Goliath because he thinks he's a really good fighter. He fights because he believes that God will rescue him. How does he know that God's gonna rescue him? It's because he knows it's a necessary fight. 
But, but here's the problem. When you're fighting unnecessary fights, you begin to doubt God because he doesn't show up in them. And you think he should. But God's not about you fighting with the people that he sent you to love. And, and this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans. He says this uh, in Romans 12. He says, if it is possible, sometimes it's not possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, you're not supposed to swing first. He says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In other words, God says, I'll balance the scales, I'll even it out, I'll make it right. And then he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, do what? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't you see, if you avoid arguments and you set out to love people, if your fight is loving people with the love of Christ, serving people with the love of Christ, being humble in difficult moments, doing good when others do wrong, you, you invite the power of God to show up in your life in bigger ways. I, uh, I had a cool experience uh, yesterday. Um, there's a, a gal, her name's Emmy Phillips, and uh, some of you may know her from uh, our Be the Bridge ministry. It's a ministry about, man, reconciliation and about... Um, uh, God's justice in the world. And, uh, and she has got a coworker uh, who is from the Ukraine. And uh, that coworker, her whole family is stuck in a basement and they've been stuck there for the last week. And, and God put it on Emmy's heart to do something about it. She's like, what can I do? How many of you felt that way the last week? Well, what can I do when it comes to a war thousands of miles away? What can I do? And God put it on her heart to do a bake sale in her driveway. So she printed out some flyers with her, her address, which is kind of scary, and her phone number on it. And she passed it out among her neighbors. And she expected, you know, to sell a few cupcakes in her driveway and, and, uh, and uh, raise some money for uh, relief for, for refugees. And, um, you know, she posted the flyers. And then, and then uh, some uh, Ukrainians started calling her with tears, uh, tears in their voices and gratitude. And then some Ukrainians posted the flyer on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, uh, they can't do a bake sale in her driveway because there's dozens and dozens of people that are prepared to run this, uh, this fundraiser uh, for refugees. Isn't that cool? And I actually have a photo of, of them meeting in the park. And I was there for about an hour. Whew, my voice cracked. I was there for about an hour uh, yesterday, and uh, it was so cool. Man, there must have been hundreds of people that cycled through in an hour. Uh, men coming, and, and not just... Not just uh, um, raising a couple funds, but, but sharing stories and encouraging one another and praying for one another and loving on one another. In fact, uh, even the news came out and, uh, and did a story on it. And, and you know what Emmy told the news? She said, God put it on my heart to do this. Isn't that cool? How God gets glory when we just set out to do simple and ordinary things. But, but here's the point. It would have been really easy for her in, in the, the hurt and the fear that her friend expressed to her to, to get on Facebook and start right? Putin's the worst. Russians should do more. Uh, wh- uh, why is NATO not fighting? No-fly zone. You guys know what I'm talking about? To start to criticize and be critical and to be judgmental and decide, uh, decide the motives of people. But instead of, of trying to get even, she let, she let God be the one who brings revenge, makes, makes the, the slate clean. And instead, she decided to love people. And God multiplies those moments. Avoid the unnecessary battles and you'll see God show up in the necessary ones. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing that you can do. 
to experience God in ordinary moments, and it's this. Act with wholehearted obedience and un, un, in the res- repetitive responsibilities. Act with wholehearted obedience in the repetitive responsibilities. Those, those uninspiring moments, those, uh, those uh, changing a blowout diaper moments, those, those no fun moments. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and you, know, you know what I think is really sad? Uh, uh, it's the, the, the song by Loverboy. You guys know that they're still touring? Any, any Loverboy fans in the, in the room? I think we got a photo. Uh, they, they don't look as young and cute as they did uh, a couple decades ago. But you know the song, uh, uh, everybody's working for the weekend. You know that one? <laughs> Everybody wants a little romance. I can never get it right. But uh, that song makes me so sad. You know, because uh, the weekend is like 48 hours at best. Because by the, by the time you're done with work on Friday, you're gassed, right? So, so you're, living, you're, you're living for the weekend. 48 out of 168 hours uh, you're going to enjoy in your life. Isn't that sad? That, 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 that's, that's what so many people work for. You know what's crazy? I think this is even crazier. I, I think that some people, they're just working for vacation, Everybody's working for a vacation, right? I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard. I'm going to power through until I get to go to Hawaii for a week, right? And, and if you're really lucky, you get two weeks in Hawaii, right? The, those are the high rollers in two weeks, two-week vacation. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's like, man, how, what, what percentage of your life are you gritting out then? You, you're enjoying 2% of your life. Isn't that sad? You're experiencing, you're experiencing joy and peace and relaxation, 2% of your year. You guys, you guys with me? It's, that's, so, that's so sad. But, but God says, hey, I will show up. I will show up in every ordinary moment, every commute, every work meeting, uh, every challenging conversation, uh, every, uh, every moment of correction with your kids, and I will be there present with you if you'll pay attention. If you'll, you'll live those moments with me in mind, I will be there. In fact, this is what it says in Colossians 3. It says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. God says your ordinary moments get heavenly attention. Your ordinary work tasks are done in the presence of Christ, and not just in the presence of Christ, but to Christ specifically. And, and that's what a faith perspective does, is it, it looks at the 15-mile the walk from Bethlehem to the Valley of Allah, and it says, I can find God on the way. And what if you found God on the way? Uh, what if you lived with, with him in mind, of, of honoring him in, in the moments that nobody sees? Like, what if, what if we work to honor God during the meal times, during the morning routines, uh, during the moments where you greet your spouse after work? What if you look to honor God by loving the people in your life in small and simple and uh, uninspiring ways, and you experienced him say, well done, good and faithful servant, daily, hourly, minute by minute by minute? Do you, do you not think that if you experience God that consistently in ordinary moments, that you, you, would be a, you would be able and willing and eager to fight extraordinary battles? And I think we would. And that's the, that's the second thing that you can do. You can just act with wholehearted obedience. You can work wholeheartedly for the Lord, not for men. Here's the third thing quickly. 
The third thing you can do is you can assume God's presence in the unfulfilling moments. You assume he's there. Man, just start with that. In fact, this is, this is the place you can start. Man, when you're having a challenging day at work, uh, when you're having a challenging day with, with the people in your life, just assume that God is present with you. That's, that's what David learned to do among the sheep and the goats. Uh, he, he had conversations with the king of everything. And so when he was confronted uh, and having a conversation with King Saul, it was, it was old news. He was used to it. Assume God's presence in the unfulfilling moments and you experience his love, his power, and his self-discipline. I, uh, I had this moment with the Lord, um, an ordinary moment, six months ago. Six months ago, uh, my daughter Cameron got particularly whiny. And I mentioned earlier that I'm not a, a big fan of whininess. Uh, it just is like a, uh, nails on a chalkboard. And I think that she's, she's, she's kind of smart, so she figured out that if I'm a squeaky wheel, I get the cookie, right? And, uh, and so she, she, uh, she learned that if she, if she whines and she cries, eventually I'll cave because it drives me crazy. Any, any parents with me in, in the room? It's like, oh my goodness, Lord, this, this daughter of mine. And I remember, I remember just uh, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of whining, not knowing what to do about it and saying to the Lord, Lord, how, mu- how much longer am I gonna have to suffer my daughter's whining? How, how much longer? Like, when will it end? And you guys are laughing because I've heard it from some of you with, with uh, teenagers and with, with uh, adult children that, that uh, oftentimes the whining extends for many years. And, uh, and so I'm, but I'm like, Lord, how long? How long? And you know what? You know what? I felt the Holy Spirit uh, impress upon my heart. Not an audible voice, just this, this word in my spirit. The Lord saying, how long have I suffered you? How long have I suffered you? Decades, Lord. And, and you know, uh, the cool thing about God meeting me in that prayer, in that ordinary moment, is as uh, I felt God giving me uh, what I needed. You know, I, what I wanted was my daughter to stop whining because it's, it's unpleasant. Uh, but but God, God in that moment, he reframed the whining as an opportunity to experience the love and the patience of my heavenly father. He, he, gave, me, he gave me what I wanted, which was uh, more, more love and more peace and more of his help and kindness. And, and so every time my, my daughter whines, I'm confronted with that question, how long have I suffered you? And I'm reminded of, of uh, the time when I was 13 and I was whining about you know, what we were having for dinner uh, or the time that I was uh, pounding my steering wheel in Seattle, frustrated with God that he wasn't moving faster. And, and I'm reminded of all of those moments where I cried out to God sinfully, demanding that he do what I want instead of him, me doing what he wanted. And, and I love David because he got this. He said in Psalm 23, Pastor Colin shared this a couple weeks ago. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want and when you assume God's presence in the unfulfilling moments, what happens is he begins to speak to your heart in a fulfilling way. And he begins to reframe the difficulty. He begins to reframe the struggle. And it's, it's not that the, the whining goes away. It's not that the conflict goes away. It's, it's that you begin to see the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same power, uh, it's the same power that that uh, Jesus uh, spoke of when he told Peter uh, that, that he was gonna build his church 
on Peter the Rock. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There, there is no victory uh, for the enemy. Uh, there, is no, there is no victory for sin in God's presence. There is no victory for discontent in God's presence because in his presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And if you have a giant in your life, I, I, I'm not telling you to go pick up five stones and, and attack it. What I'm, what I'm telling you is, is to begin to, to give your attention to God in the ordinary moments. Begin to eagerly seek God's power in, in the meal times, in, in the conversations, in the business meeting, in the communes, and seek the Lord. Hear his voice and see him grow your confidence to fight extraordinary battles. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I wanna pray for those in the room who are, uh, man, struggling, struggling even just with ordinary moments, ordinary struggles, daily battles. God, maybe it's an illness. God, maybe it's uh, a conflict in a relationship. Maybe it's an ex uh, who, uh, who won't let go. God, maybe it's financial, God, whatever it might be. God, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to look to you, to assume your presence, to avoid fighting with people and instead fight to honor you by loving others in the name of Jesus. God, make us a church uh, who's unafraid. Uh, make us a church who's bold. Uh, make us a church who believes that you're gonna be faithful to show up because you are. We praise in Jesus' name.